Las Vegas is what your amygdala would create if it had dictatorial control over the world. It's literally designed to give you a thrill while losing money. Casinos pump in oxygen and keep the place cool while funneling you free drinks to impair your judgment. They don't have windows or clocks, so you don't even realize how much time you've spent playing the slots. And there are endless types of games, entertainment, and pretty lights to keep the excitement going because they want you to think that this bet, this next bet right here, this may just be the one that puts you over the top. What's funny though, if you know what you're doing, you can actually make money in Las Vegas. You can pick the right games that rely on skill or give you better odds. You can avoid the wrong ones too, of course. You can practice poker and then find the tables of tourists that are fresh off the plane who are easy targets. And if you place the right bets and avoid the wrong ones, you'll ultimately win. Marketing in B2B SaaS isn't all that different. You're constantly making bets on each email send, blog post, marketing campaign, demand gen strategy, and the like. When you find something that works, you double down with everything you got. And if something isn't working, you cut your losses as soon as possible. Over time, you develop an instinct, and when you combine that with data, you become unstoppable. And one of these unstoppable marketers is Megan Eisenberg. Throughout her illustrious career, Megan has continually learned what it takes to place the right marketing bets and how to avoid the wrong ones. She's run marketing at companies like DocuSign, MongoDB, and is now the CMO over at TripActions. So take a seat and let's learn from one of the best. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Megan Eisenberg helps you solidify your marketing gambles and avoid those bad bets. We'll talk about the art of making technology, the alignment of product marketing and sales, prioritizing marketing initiatives, knowing when to pivot and when to stay the course, and finally, the common thread of successful companies. What made you want to get into this? What made you want to get into this hack? Is it in the background of your family? Like, is it like what, what was the allure, if you will? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I graduated from high school, I wanted to do art. Okay. <laughs> and my, my dad was like, okay, you can do anything you want as long as it's in the sciences. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, okay. And at the time, websites were just coming about and you could code in HTML and you could create these really cool things online. And that was then the computer science MIS world. And so I applied to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo with the thought that I would go build cool websites and that that was like the hot place to be. And so it sort of solved for my dad's thing. You have to be in the sciences and sort of got me a little closer. I also got, I was one class away from an art minor. So I took all the art classes I could possibly take at Cal Poly just because that's what I love. And I, I'm not surprised I've, I've, I've come from tech into marketing because it is more of the art and making technology, you know, delivering it in a package that people are drawn to and it balances the art and science of it. So I think it's fun to create a web property, to create an experience, to design something, to compel you to come learn more uh, is a good, um, for me, a good fit. Have you always been in kind of the, the developer space? Like what's kind of your background? Like? No, I actually yeah. haven't. Um, so undergrad MIS computer science, went to Cisco Systems as an IT engineer 
did that for a few years, then decided to go to business school at Yale, uh, came out and thought, you know what, I could have a lot of fun marketing for tech. And so pivoted out of tech really into marketing. And I was uh, did a lot of security uh, software, was ArcSight, we were acquired by HP, and then switched into SaaS really with DocuSign. Was there for three and a half years running a demand gen and customer acquisition, and then got pulled into MongoDB as their CMO. Yeah, there's probably an advantage to being able to kind of bridge the gap, you know, with tech, you know, the, your computer science background, yes. and on the marketing side, because correct me if I'm wrong, but in, in a lot of kind of dev-focused companies, sometimes the marketing is, is, is kind of, oh, they're just the marketing, they're just the sales kind of put in the back room. Like, do you, do, have you seen that in the industry? Maybe not necessarily at MongoDB? I mean, I think it's important that in, as marketing, a lot of times with B2B enterprise software, you're, it's really important you're aligning with your sales team. And in self-serve, it's really important that you're aligning with product. When it comes to targeting developers, you need both, especially since we have developer all the way to uh, enterprise selling. So part of it is just making sure we're aligned, that we hire a lot of technical talent within marketing. So our work is authentic and it's actually describing the product the way someone would buy it in channels where they would go buy it. Yeah, let's talk more about that. So you basically have, you have the product, obviously, and it's used by developers. And so you have the sales team, the marketing team, product team. Now, when you're looking at kind of aligning things across there, what are some of like the big potholes that come up when you're trying to get that alignment for all those different kind of vectors for growth? I mean, I, I don't know from a pothole standpoint, but just understanding what the goals are. I mean, you want the experience whether it's out in the field at an event, whether it's on your website or whether it's in your product to be consistent and to be uh, amazing. And so you want to align around what that looks like, who the customer is, what you want the experience to be, what the handoff looks like, whether you're going in and going straight through the product or whether you're coming in and meeting with sales. So the handoff matters a lot. I think there's a lot of metrics in between when you're in the funnel, trying to figure out and align on, on what success looks like. Yeah. Is it something where, like, has there been any friction like between these different types of teams like as you've been growing and as you like not necessarily at you know even MongoDB but in some of the past experiences because I think that you know we've been in certain cycles within the world of technology right where it used to be like just any product was great because there just wasn't anything out there right sure, and then sure. all of a sudden you had you know, the birth of like the modern SaaS where, you know, there's tons of e-signature products out there. DocuSign actually, you know, was the big revolutionary in the market though. Yes. But now like distribution is becoming harder and harder, even if you have like a very dev focused product. And so is it something where you've seen like that relationship change over the years or has it been something where it's been, you know, kind of always the same, you know, and kind of the same problem, same opportunities? Well, I would say it's constantly evolving and there it's, there's never a perfect model and your business is changing, the customer is changing, and you have to constantly look at all your metrics and where you're at in the funnel because no matter what, even if you look at something like lead scoring, it changes constantly. You're learning, there's bottlenecks because there's people involved in process and technology. You can't just set it and then leave it. You've got to every week, every two weeks, look at the data, what's happening. Your customer base is also growing and evolving, so you're learning. Your product market fit is starting to solidify. So that matters a lot. I would say the important part of aligning, specifically if you look at sales and marketing, there's really three important things. One, build the models together. So the target persona, lead scoring, the funnel, how you're gonna measure success. 
Two is transparency and result, what's working and not. A lot of it is you've got a budget and you, one, you need sales to have confidence you're spending it the right way and you're creating opportunities and meetings for them with people they want to talk to, but that, you know, sometimes it's not going to work. And so as long as you're, you're showing those results and that you double down on the good stuff and cancel the bad stuff, they trust in you and what you're doing. And then I would say the third is habitual communication, constantly communicating on where you're at against your targets, what you have for them. You know, we do a, a weekly above the fold, which is everything that's going on in marketing to support sales or like a sales flash. And so if you take those three things on top of a technology platform, we have over 28 technologies in marketing. Sales probably has another 28. So if you think about those, they're giving us data of people coming in, what they're doing on our platform, what they're doing as customers, so we can learn and, and get better and, and increase the velocity of folks coming in and staying as customers. I think about, you know, build the model together, transparency and results. And I, I think about habitual communication, that aligns sales and marketing. It's very similar for product. You know, what are what are the goals that you're trying to set? People coming into the funnel, people that come into the free tier and then go up to paid. Um, what's that experience look like? We put technologies like Segment in place to figure that out. And, and so we learned that transparency, what we're doing to grow the business from a self-serve standpoint, what's working and what's not working, and then continually communicating on that progress all on top of technology. Yeah, that's really cool. And when you're building that model, especially building it together, because yeah. there's, I mean, you guys have a sales team that's, you know, sells into the enterprise and then the market, you have the self-serve. Like, how do you build that model, especially at a company like of your size and, and you know, you're public. And so there's yes. a lot of expectations. Growth is absolutely necessary. And I'm assuming you've been able, you know, cause you've been there three, four years now, you've been able to kind of make it into your own, especially that process. So like, how do you actually build that model for, you know, a company that's, that's trying to align sales and marketing a little bit better, but also trying to do that in the context of high growth? Yeah, you know, I would say first we started out, uh, Atlas, our database of service has been around two years. So when I started three and a half years ago, it didn't exist. We were B2B, traditional B2B enterprise software company that released our self-serve Atlas two years ago and have grown into supporting that. It's now 18% of our business and it growing extremely fast. So I did have the benefit of having enterprise sales first, getting that more established, growing our corporate sales team, getting that established. Now we've got to really pivot and transform. We're a cloud company first with self-serve. And it's a funnel, you know, our self-serve business feeds our sales business. We have large enterprise companies running Atlas, setting up areas where people can come and build, developers can come and build out for the enterprise. And when you're prioritizing because you know you have a number theoretically, or maybe you don't. I'm assuming you're like, Always all right, a number. we need this number, right? And yeah. then you're sitting there, and you're like, all right, how am I going to get there? You know, you can grow the Atlas side, you can grow the corporate side, you can grow both. You know, and there's probably a bunch of different things in between. How do you prioritize those initiatives? Because there's there's so many things you can do. You can do event marketing. You can do like you know, there, that, there's a lot of granularity that we could get into. But like, how do you start prioritizing? Hey, I got to get to this number within the next four quarters. Yeah, I mean, I think it's certainly understanding what comes in through your channels and what converts well and looking at the cost per lead or cost per opportunity and starting to prioritize the stuff that's going to get you there the fastest. Because you're right, in marketing, there's 100 things you can do, but you only have money for 20. So what's the right 20 based on what you've seen? And you're making some bets. So maybe you're, you know, 15 of the 20, you kind of know based on results and five things you're testing and trying. And you know 
four are gonna fail, yeah. but you might find that one that accelerates. So you're constantly trying to test and innovate in the market, spend a lot of time talking with other heads of marketing, heads of growth, trying to figure out what they're trying, what they're seeing, yeah. because the channels are evolving, right? Three and a half years ago, I never would have spent money on Facebook targeting folks. Now I'm on Facebook and it's a better channel than Twitter. Sometimes LinkedIn, LinkedIn's expensive. So you're con these channels are evolving. So we're testing them, trying them, talking with developers. Where do they go for information? They have different sets of influencers. How do we you know, get in front of those influencers and show them the product? So it's a constant reprioritization. At, at least at like your size and scale, What's that cycle like? Is it a quarterly cycle? Like, hey, we're gonna try, you know, Facebook. We'll see if it works within a quarter, and then we'll blow it out depending on how, how well it does. Like, what what does that cycle normally look like? Because it's hard. I imagine with yes. like so many people and things like that. Yeah. So each function is continually looking at the results. So we have field marketing looking at things like events. How are they working? Are we gonna invest again? Should we do more of these in a short amount of time? Uh, there's our digital programs, how's paid search doing? They're looking at it weekly. Like they're iterating, changing, learning constantly. There's you know account-based marketing. We're looking at the results of those programs. I would say we do a very big assessment every quarter where we look at a, you know kind of a SWOT analysis. What are we going to keep? What are we going to change? What are we going to stop? And we we look at all campaigns and we rank them on return on overall. Uh, opportunities created and we drop the ones that aren't working and we double down the ones that are working and then we do an annual review but it never stops right every time we run a campaign we're looking how many leads came in did they actually convert and then did they turn into business your life is just I feel like it's tons of tens Excel of thousands of metrics and meetings yes. and all these types of things it, it and, really is and when yes. you think about the transparency I'm very fascinated by how you guys might structure this because you know you, you build this model you're trying to see the inputs and outputs into that model. Yes. Um, you're using 40 different tools across sales and marketing. Do you guys have like weekly meetings? Do you have like a, is it the old school Amazon analytics deck every month? Like what, is, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so certainly each of my leads have metrics they're monitoring on a regular basis. When it comes to the funnel, we meet every week. We're, look, we're meeting with our SDR team, we're meeting with our ops team, sales ops, marketing ops, and we're looking at the metrics. How are they progressing? Are we seeing acceleration? Do we need to update our lead scoring? Do we need more training in certain areas? So that's, a, that's that habitual communication. Uh, so that's weekly, and everyone kind of brings in information they're gathering. And you know, we use Salesforce as our CRM. There's a lot of reports we're pulling from there. We've got Tableau pulling uh, you know, data and looking at that. Uh, we're looking at web metrics. All these technologies have their own set of metrics. And we're, you know, with each different owners looking at what, you know, looking and acting on what we see and trying to pull insights. When you think about, like, I'm always fascinated by, like, your, your time horizon, too, because obviously you guys are reporting quarterly, which you know, can affect, you know, certain decisions. And then all, obviously you're looking towards the, the future vision of the company. Yes. When you notice a blip, like good or bad, mm -hmm. you know, let's say week over week, you know, something goes terrible or something goes great and it's related to sales or marketing. Like, how do you kind of react to that? Do you react to that? Is it, let's wait the quarter and see how this, this happens? Like, like what's kind of that, you know, that speed, if you will, of reaction? Yeah, I mean, it's living and breathing. So sure. definitely as we see something working, we, we shift funds towards what's working. If we 
we see something not working, we stop and we look at it, we learn from it. Maybe we try a different way to go about it. You know, we're always trying to learn from it, um, but we certainly don't wait. Like we're constantly just uh, reading and iterating. And when you think about that last point around transparent, or excuse me, habitual communication, you know, sales and marketing teams, there's a lot of data nerds, there's a lot of ego, like on all sides, right? Sure. What are some of the big things, especially in an organization like your size and, and your scale, that, that you look for either individually or you kind of set up on your teams to make sure that that communication flows, but also is like really heard? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of important things to do the alignment. One, you've got to have a presence with your head of sales. They've got to see, sales needs to see how aligned you are with them and marketing needs to see that because if you guys are are working hand in hand, that stuff below is going to work hand in hand because they know it's, if it goes up the chain, you guys are going to partner and fix it. You're not going to tolerate anyone not working together. So I think that's one Two, I and my team is measured by the company number. So it's aligned to sales being successful. There's nothing better to, to get sales support than to have your leaders be comped by them making their number. So that, I think, drives a lot of behavior, regardless if what they're doing directly relates to sales or not. At the end of the day, if sales isn't successful, I'm not successful. And therefore, marketing's not successful. So I think incentives matter communication matters and just that alignment. And I make sure my leads partner very closely with the leads within sales that they're meeting with the different regional uh, leads to find out what are the issues they're having? What are the bottlenecks? What can we be doing? Is there some, you know, can we do something in the field? We have pretty tight field alignment with our field marketers and each of the leads in the regions trying to make sure we're, we're working on account-based marketing, that they feel supported. We're providing air cover for them. Is that like direct... Because CMOs typically do report to the CEO. Um, you know, sometimes there's like a CRO level that kind of like gets in between that sometimes. Like, do you think that like that, the fact that both of you, the head of sales and, and you, the head of marketing report in the CEO, does that help, do you think? I actually think it makes sense because a lot of times in marketing, you've got to hit the short-term number, but you've got a long-term thinking about your brand, where sure. you're going. And I think sales is, mo you know, a lot of times is incented on the quarter and short-term number. And so sometimes your objectives are not at odd, but not always time the same. So I think it makes a lot more sense to have you both report into the CEO. Otherwise, I'm, I, I, I fear you may change, you may make short-term decisions at sure. the expense of long-term ones yeah. uh, to make a quarter. In marketing, you're thinking about so many other things. You're thinking about employment branding, you're, you're thinking about education and the company as a whole, internal comms. Um, so it's just, it's a lot more than just supporting the sales number. Kind of like a, a pivot on, on something I'm curious about. Sure. Uh, would you rather, I mean, you might not put this in, I'm just genuinely curious. Yes. Would you rather be working with like a product like MongoDB, which is, you know, a little bit hard to explain probably your family and things like that? Or would you rather work with like DocuSign, which is like, you know, a very like semi-straightforward and, you know, kind of like a, you know, an every person's product, if you will. Like what, what's been more exciting? I mean, I'm sure they've had their difference. Yeah, you know, they're very different products. I, you know, I think a lot of what I like to work with is the team. And so, yes, was DocuSign easy to explain to my parents? Did my mom use the product at Morgan Stanley? Yes. So she'd heard of it and people have bought homes and different things. 
Um, but MongoDB is a core tech product that has a bunch of fanatics around it. And so I've definitely fallen in love with the brand in the last three and a half years. And I think that what matters, no matter what the product is, if you understand the buyer and, and do you enjoy kind of working with and, and fishing for them and, and, you know, bringing them in, you know, attracting them, converting them, keeping them as kind of the game. And you've now basically, you know, either laid the foundation for or been involved with, at the very least, a couple of companies that have IPO'd yes. in the past year or so. You've been through some acquisitions. Like, like you've had, you've had a really successful like career so far, which is awesome. And, and do you find, like, in that success, like, is there a common thread like with the different companies that you you've seen be successful? Yeah, that's an interesting question because they're all I've been with all different types all of different, companies. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's oftentimes it's the team that's on it, it's the investors, the the backers of it, uh, it's the stage of the company. Uh, and kind of the desire, I don't know how to explain it, like there's a, a, a hustle that's around these companies uh, for that outcome and, and the leaders that are involved. Uh, but they're all different, they're just all different markets. When you think about, like, you're, you're competing, you're working at a very, very high level. Like, people rely on you, um, the goals are not small, right? And maybe it feels like the early goals in your early career. But when you think about being at that level and competing at that level, like what are some things that you've learned that you've needed to, to be and cultivate in yourself or cultivate with your team in order to, you know, not want to tear your hair out? <laughs> no, I think it's continual learning, right? Every situation you're collecting more data and you have to learn and problem solve. I think success comes from your ability to look at a challenge and solve it. I mean, we're hired to solve problems. If everything was going great, they would never, we wouldn't need people, right? And so I think it's being up for a challenge, problem solving, trying to figure out who the best resources, being able to hire, I think matters. And just uh, the teaming, the right attitude around it. And um, yeah, I think a lot of it is building the team and um, not giving up, right? And networking, a lot of it is just, can you get the right people working together to solve it? Have you built those relationships and the equity up to get something done? Because almost everyone, there's someone out there that's solved a similar problem. So it's finding them, learning from them, and then you probably have a slightly different issue. And so how do you morph that to, to solve that problem? Totally. And, and is there something that you're, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, is there something you're like still struggling with, like trying to overcome, like big or small? Tech is a moving landscape. You know, trying to learn new technology. Even what I learned... You know, my computer science courses, a de you know, more than a decade ago, <laughs> are totally irrelevant now. So constantly trying to pick up and learn tech. If you're not in it and you're not developing every day, it's moving fast. It's super tough. So you just have to reading, 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 reading. So I tell my kids, you need to read every night. Read, read, read. And I think as leaders, we have to keep learning how to manage and lead people. I think that's something you can never stop. I've you know, we moved recently and I had a closet full of books and I and looking back over the years, how many leadership management models, branding, you name it, self-help books I've read. I feel like you just can't you can't read enough of that. A huge shout out to Megan Eisenberg for lending us her time. 
Now you have what it takes to feel comfortable with your marketing bets. On today's episode, we talked about the art of making technology, the alignment of product marketing and sales, prioritizing marketing initiatives, knowing when to pivot and when to stay the course, and finally, the common thread of successful companies. Oh, and if you want some swag, all you have to do is leave us a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you watch or listen. Email a screenshot at pc at profitable.com and we will hook you up. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 